today on The Journey. When Paul tells us what should characterize a person who's going to leave a lasting impact, money is on the list. Money is not the issue. The issue is our heart. Your affections guide your journey. They can steer you down a narrow way with eternal exponential influence or to a dead-end place where your reward must be left behind. On today's program, Ron Moore shows you the narrow avenue that leads to a godly legacy and tells you where to find it. We'll get to that right after a brief word about Ron's daily devotional titled, Journey Through the Gospels. In these 365 reflections, you'll discover truths about Jesus and yourself that you may have never seen before. Journey Through the Gospels is available for a donation of any amount, and you'll find it on the web at ronmore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with a message titled, Multiplying My Influence on the Journey. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples a parable. Parable is a story he used to illustrate truth. And he told the story about how people handle money. And Jesus closed his teaching with these words, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, interestingly, the Pharisees were not the primary audience that Jesus was talking to, but they were listening. And they didn't appreciate what Jesus was saying. Luke chapter 16, verse 14, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this, and were sneering at Jesus. And it could have been that they were sneering at him in a way that Jesus saw them sneering at him, and so he responds to them. He said to them, you're the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. A fascinating passage of Scripture. Jesus is teaching the disciples about money, and the Pharisees, who loved money, didn't like it. And they sneered at Jesus for his teaching. And then Jesus said, you're the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of others. God knows your heart. The Pharisees are not the only ones who try to justify their actions when it comes to money, are they? We're involved in a series of sermons on legacy. We've been emphasizing that we are the ones who must own our influence. No one else can own your influence. In your world, in your family, in your work, in your school, whatever you do, you're it. And we've been emphasizing that it's how you live today that will impact what you leave tomorrow. How about this song from Sugar Land? Check this out. It's always country music just has the best lyrics. (laughs) We come into this world with nothing, We take it with us when we leave. The first and last breath don't matter. It's all the ones that are in between. It's good stuff. And it's country music, so it's even better stuff. (laughs) Here's what we've been trying to emphasize throughout this series. How you live today will determine what you leave tomorrow. 
take your Bibles and turn with me to the New Testament, the book of First Timothy. We're looking at these three letters, First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, as a framework of our study. They're called the pastoral epistles. We're finding some character traits that Paul gave to Timothy as he was to choose elders in the church in Ephesus. Timothy is there in Ephesus, and Paul says, here are the qualifications that you need to use to choose leaders of the church. So primarily, this list is for church leaders. However, this list of characteristics applies to everyone because we see these characteristics throughout Scripture, so no one is exempt. We've seen, first of all, that you have to have a life of passion. You have to desire to own your influence. A Christian life cannot be lived flatline. You have to demonstrate that you believe something, not only to die for it, to live for it. Above reproach, no handles of scandal, family integrity, faithful to spouse and children, emotionally balanced, temperate and self-controlled, respectable, obedience flowing from spiritual identity. You have to know who you are in Christ. Hospitable, not just inviting people into your perfect home, but inviting people into your imperfect heart. Able to teach in your actions. You acquire God's word. You believe God's word, and then you communicate God's word. And that may be from a stage, from a platform in a classroom. It may be over a cup of coffee at your kitchen table, but you're communicating God's word. And then gentle, last time, strength under control. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 3, the qualifications. Again, here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. The overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome. And here's our qualification for today, not a lover of money. The issue of money is addressed throughout Scripture. Randy Alcorn, in his excellent book, The Treasure Principle, says that money is addressed over 2,000 times. So it's not a surprise when Paul tells us what should characterize a life of a person who's going to leave a lasting impact. It's not surprising that money is on the list. Now, to be clear, money is not the issue. The issue is how we use it. The issue is our heart. You could be dirt poor and be a lover of money. You could be extremely wealthy and not be a lover of money. It's the heart issue. A lover of money describes the lust for gaining money in all possible ways and the desire to keep money at every cost. While Paul introduces the topic of money here in chapter 3, verse 3, he elaborates on the same issue later in his book. So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And here Paul addresses two groups. This is so instructive and so interesting. Paul addresses first those who have a desire to get rich. Because there are people in our world who have a desire to get rich. You can see that. You can see them doing anything and everything to make money, to get rich, to acquire wealth. That's one group. The second group, Paul says, is those who are already rich. They already have raked in piles of money. And he gives instruction to both of these people. Let's start with those 
who want to get rich. Look at chapter 6, verse 3. Paul says, if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth, and here's where money comes in, and who thinks godliness is a means of financial gain. So here in Paul's day, right there in Ephesus, there were individuals who were in the church, they were teaching false doctrine, and they did it in order to make money. They did it for financial gain. Two things here. It's happening today. We all know that there are many in Christian ministry who have used people and ministry for financial gain. The list is long, who have sold out for money, and you can read about them in the newspaper. They've given a bad taste for Christianity to many people. False teaching always will leave people disillusioned. And false teachers will leave destruction in their path. Secondly, there are those who teach a false doctrine called prosperity gospel. You can see it in all forms and fashions. In fact, if you go to the Christian bookstore, I promise you, three of the top ten books will have some type of prosperity gospel in it because it sells books. And it always leaves people disillusioned. If you ever hear someone who is going to promise you health, promise you more money, promise you all good things, that person is teaching false doctrine. You do not see that in Scripture. Jesus said, in this life you will have what? Troubles. We live in a sinful world. So we can't chase that stuff. For those who desire great financial gain, Paul has a better idea. Look at verse 6. Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You want gain? Godliness with contentment. Now, in Paul's teaching, godliness is the whole package of the Christian life. Coming to Christ, growing in Christ, getting grounded in Christ, sharing Christ. It's the whole package. A godly life does all of that. And Paul says, when you are godly, you are in Christ and you are living in Christ. Now, godliness has nothing to do with material possessions. You can be extremely wealthy and godly. You can be extremely poor and godly. I have met many believers around the world, in the slums of India, in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya, in the poor villages of Sri Lanka. They were godly individuals, and they didn't have two nickels to rub together. On the other hand, I met people who are extremely wealthy, and they're godly as well. It's not an issue of what we have. It's an issue of our heart. So Paul says financial gain is not the ticket. The ticket is contentment. Are you content with who you are in Jesus Christ? This legacy series has reminded me over and over again that until we come to grips with who we are in Christ, we're going to struggle with everything in life. We're going to chase every wrong thing until we understand that we are accepted by him, that we are forgiven, that our life has significance and meaning because Jesus Christ lives within us through his Holy Spirit. When we understand our identity, then we're not chasing other stuff. 
So here's the issue all of us have to deal with. Am I content with my relationship with Jesus? Period, the end. If it all stopped there, if I had nothing else beside that, would I still be content with my relationship with Jesus? Or do I need the toys? Do I need the money and the stuff money buys? A person who depends on material stuff for contentment will never, ever, ever, ever be contented. They'll never be satisfied because material things always have a way of losing their appeal, don't they? Always. Jesus said the stuff we have rusts and it rots and it wears out and it goes out of style and it breaks. Paul said, if we just have food and clothing, we should be content with that. Jesus, food and clothing. Could you be content with that? Paul can speak with authority because that's all the material stuff he had. Now, some people have a lot more than that. I heard about Carnegie and Mellon and Frick. It's amazing how much money these guys made. Collectively, do you know how much money these guys left when they died? All of them. Hey, don't steal my punchline, man. They left all of it. Every bit of it. That was actually going to be really good. This brief stay on earth, we're going to exit with what we entered, nothing. Well, let's be honest. We have a hard time coming to grips with that, don't we? Look at verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and destruction. That word plunge means to drown. The lust for money is like having someone tie a bag of concrete around your feet and thrown into a sea. You just plunge to the bottom. The lust of money drags you to the bottom and deprives you of spiritual oxygen. Look at verse 10. For the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money, greed, covetousness, avarice is the root. It's the feeder system for all kinds of evil. The pimp sells sex for money. The drug dealer sells drugs for money. The thief steals for money. Money is the root of all kinds of evil. The rest of verse 10. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money is a self-inflicted wound. Paul says it's like taking a sword and plunging it into your soul. The result is a life of many different types of pain. If you are chasing the almighty dollar, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never have enough and you will leave a path of destruction in your life and your family and with those around you because you've got to bring other people into this deal, right? And the result of that life will be many types of pain. Can you be content with what God has given you? See, God is the owner of everything. So everything I have is a gift from him. So everything I have should be used for him. He has given me this as a steward to use his money for his purposes. I'm an instrument. Can you be content with being a steward of God's money? Or always be working for more, 
bigger and better and faster. Well, there's another group that Paul addresses. He not only addresses the dangers of wanting to get rich, but he addresses those who are rich. And let's face it, let's be honest. Many in here are wealthy by our society's standards. So Paul has some instruction for wealthy believers. Now, first of all, let me say, I believe a wealthy believer carries an extra burden. God has given you a lie that you're going to be responsible for and accountable for. I met with a guy who was an older gentleman. He had done extremely well in business. And he was kind of wondering out loud. And he said, you know, I've made a lot of money and I've given a lot away. But has it been enough? Have I been generous enough? Have I helped others enough? You see, being wealthy carries a significant burden. And so Paul has some specific instruction for those who are wealthy. First, be thankful. For whatever reason, God has chosen you among all the people in the world. He's entrusted you with resources to build his kingdom right here and around the world. He has trusted you to provide the resources for lives to be transformed by Jesus Christ. That's a great blessing. There is absolutely no reason to be ashamed of that. So I want to make a confession, right? I used to, when someone would say, man, the chapel's doing great. You guys are doing some great things over there. God's blessing you. I used to say, well, you know, kind of all shucks. God's working in spite of us. That's wrong. God doesn't work in spite of us. He works through us. He uses us. He can do anything he wants to do. He chose to work through us. Use God's resources the way he wants you to. Number two, stay humble. Paul says in verse 17, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant. Don't begin to think that you're the one who created this wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 8 says this, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me because I'm so smart. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God's blessed you. You say, well, I worked my tail off for that money. God gave you the tail to work off. (laughs) Your upbringing, your intellect, your education, your job, any success you have is because God provided you the opportunity to do it. Be thankful and stay humble. Three, stay dependent. Look at verse 17. Not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Stay dependent. Now this gets tricky because we pray, give us to stay our daily bread. When Jesus shared that prayer, people in that day got bread for one day and then they depended on God for food on Monday and then they depended on God for food on Tuesday and then there was no food left over on Tuesday night so they depend on God for food on Wednesday. We don't have that issue, do we? Because we got the refrigerator full and we got piles of money to go buy something else. So here's where it gets tricky. How are we going to make certain that we don't put our 
confidence in our investments and salary package and retirement plans. Paul tells us don't do that because it is so uncertain. You know it may not be there at the end of the day. I don't care how much money you put away. It may not be there at the end of the day. It's uncertain. The only certain thing is our relationship with Jesus Christ, who will give us everything we need to do what he calls us to do. So stay dependent. Next one, enjoy God and his blessing. Look at the end of verse 17. God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So enjoy God and his blessings. And some of you are saying, finally, a verse I can apply. For me, enjoyment's another Harley and a new boat and a snowmobile. This is the only thing I heard today, but I did hear this. I'm going to go enjoy it. Well, we've already said that stuff does not bring true joy. It does for a little bit, then it wears out, breaks, rusts, goes out of style. Could there be another type of enjoyment that Paul's talking about here? A deeper, more meaningful joy? Could there possibly be something more enjoyable than buying a bigger something? Look at verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Could that be the enjoyment that Paul's talking about? That's the next point. Be generous and willing to share. So he doesn't get specific here. He just says, God gave you this. Use it well. God gave you this. Be rich in good deeds. God gave you this. Be generous and willing to share it. And I think Paul circles back and says, that's the enjoyment I was talking about. One more thing. Lasting enjoyment comes when you invest in eternal things. Look at verse 19. In this way, when a person does good, is rich in good deeds, is generous and willing to share, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So if we do what God tells us to do with our money, in that way we will lay up treasures for ourselves as a firm foundation in the coming age. And I love this line so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Are we going to lay up a firm foundation in the age to come? Are we going to blow it all here? It's really the question about money, isn't it? It's not about the money. It's about our hearts. And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. Would you like to sense the anticipation of the people as Jesus stood up to preach? Would you like to feel the joy and wonder as the scales fell from the eyes of the man born blind? Would you like to see Jesus for the first time all over again? Well, that can be your everyday experience with Ron Moore's devotional titled, Journey Through the Gospels. In these 365 insightful meditations, Ron takes you on a challenging journey through the life of Christ. Along the way, Jesus will touch your soul and spirit with life-changing truths and tender affection. Journey Through the Gospels is yours for a gift of any amount when you visit ronmore.org. Again, that web address is ronmore.org. Or you may call 
724-731-2018. That's 724-731-2018. Now, let's rejoin Ron for a preview of our next broadcast. God has something specific and powerful for you to do today. Every believer is a minister of Jesus Christ. No one can reach into your world like you can. Tag, you are it. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And please drop by our website to order your copy of Journey Through the Gospels. This daily devotional will enrich your walk with the Savior and increase your understanding of His life and ministry. Journey Through the Gospels is available for a donation of any amount at ronmore.org or you may call 724-731-2018. That's 724-731-2018. Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron Moore next time as we walk together on the journey.